Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah, we are learning about F1 and many other motorsports series too. In this episode, we're talking about why the drivers need to prioritise their fitness as elite athletes and taking a holistic view of the factors that affect this. We also have a little chat about GeForce and what this means ahead of the race in Zandvoort this weekend. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of terms you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram at prettygirlf one Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! Okay, well, hello everybody. Welcome back. Hello, <laughs> hello everyone. Chaos over here from the beginning. Oh, anyway. Hello, welcome to a, an, an episode which, I'll be honest with you, I have been so, so excited for since we talked about doing this as an idea. Uh, mainly because I just love listening to people who are passionate about what they do and who get passionate about a topic. I, it's how I've got into most of the things I like is because somebody else liked them and their passion was infectious. So I'm so excited to hear Moni talk all about fitness, all about like GeForce and stuff like that. We've got obviously Zamport this weekend, so we're going to talk about how some of that stuff is relevant in relation to that kind of stuff. But for those of you who don't know, who are listening... Tell us why this is so, why you love this stuff so much. Okay. Basically, I grew up playing sports and watching sports my entire life. The sport I grew up with the most and still in my life is soccer, football, soccer, because I grew up in the States, but (laughs) football because I grew up speaking Spanish as well. But like, that's the sport my whole family watches. We all basically played it at some point. And then as I got older, transitioned to different sports. The ones I liked the most were water polo and swimming. So very different from motorsport in the my sport athletic career. But oh no, it's just something I've always loved. Uh, thus I work in sports. Uh, I work in sports medicine. So I obviously love it enough that I made it my whole life. And anyone that works in Formula One, any motorsport, and you want an intern when it comes to sports medicine or anything like that, you know, just give me a call and I'll happily do it. You know, oh, I'll hold your water bottles like i like i'm back in undergrad exactly we've got we've got you covering this stuff we've got hannah covering pr i bring absolutely nothing to the table and i'm very happy about that so you know <laughs> we all have our skills yeah so i'm <laughs> i just love it there's different things that come into it uh this part of this episode when it comes to like the biomechanics and like stuff like that makes me wish i had better a better biomechanics professor in college because i would have been all about it if it was just better professor and like I have more self-belief in myself when it came to kinesiology like general keen ken right when it comes to certain things and like physics because now I'm all about it but you know it's fine well we'll we'll watch the rest of your life right now with what it can exactly I'm here for it so we're talking mostly here about like driver fitness all right so these drivers obviously have to be incredibly fit we unfortunately get so many workout videos from them sometimes they don't have tops on when they're doing these workout videos it's it's something that people will have seen a lot on the internet you know whether you're talking Mm -hmm. about it from an aesthetic point of view or just from a training point of view we also see all this stuff around neck training and neck strength and them like dangling Mm -hmm. weights off their necks and things like that to it i'm not saying this is my opinion because whilst i don't know much i do know some stuff they're just driving cars money why do they need to be fit why do they need um, we'll get on to next later, I'm sure. But why do they need to be so fit to okay. turn the hands on the steering wheel? So this is when I say shout out to Formula Y, uh, another podcast, because they did a whole episode on this. And this is where I got like a good like motorsport specific ones. And they actually talked about this specifically. And Dr. Pilecki basically talks about how in academic journals, when it comes to like sports and stuff, Apparently, academic journals don't see drivers as athletes, which is wild to me. Wild because of all the things they, they have do to fall vote. under that category. Yeah, it's like there are athletes. It's just I guess in academic journals, to certain ac- academic journals, they don't fit the de- definition, which is just insane to me. Like, what is wrong with academia that, as we'll talk about, we don't consider these people athletes? Ah, and if that's right. the reason why it took me so, I took me so it was so hard for me to find research for one of my. Sp- papers in grad school i'm so mad anyways so basically the fitness of formula one drivers you can say basically started like how fitness in every other professional sport started football hockey baseball when athletes with 
players realize that like how they take care of their bodies impacts performance therefore they started caring about it like if you watch old right. clips of old sports it's like we're drinking we're smoking we're not working out in the summer we're literally just going for the preseason season when we're done like as athletes realized hey if we take care of ourselves we can do things better therefore we perform better therefore we chances of winning go higher same thing with driving so the reason why drivers have to be so fit start we'll just start with what kind of things or workouts or exercises or even muscles do you think drivers have to have to do what they do like muscle groups anything so they have to have their necks obviously Mm -hmm. they have to have abs they have to have it's they have honestly I'm going to put down like every major muscle needs to be defined because you're putting so much pressure g-force wise mm-hmm. on the entire body yep you and then you need to be and and if you there I saw something the other day maybe Mon, you were the one that sent it to me I think you were the one that sent it to me where it was a museum interactive display that said push this brake pedal this is what your brake pedal is like on your car with a servo brake with a servo assist where if you're full force, you break completely. Now push down this pedal. This is what a Formula One car or race car is. And it was like maybe 33% brake power when you push all the way down. Because there's no servo assist or whatever it's called. Right. So like they need to have leg power. They need to have arms, everything basically. Okay. Yeah, you would be correct. So basically I wrote it out. You obviously need grip strength. So your forearms, mm-hmm. little muscle, like literally the small muscles you probably wouldn't think of. Next which also includes part of your back because your neck muscles go all the way down. So you have your traps, yep. your pectorals, your deltoids, your biceps, your triceps, your core stability, your back, everything, your hamstrings, your quads, your glutes, literally every muscle, major muscle group you can think of, they have to have trained to do this job. Now for the neck, right. how many, how much weight do you think they have to be able to uh, support from like those neck training videos we can do i think i'm gonna be wrong on this but i think i've i think i've seen somewhere 60 kg okay hannah so i'm gonna use my math approach if they're yeah. if they are experiencing anywhere from four to six g's per corner mm-hmm. and their head is let's say what's the average weight of a head <laughs> I, I, Don't know. I want to I, I feel like i'm overestimating but let's say like max 10 pounds Okay. We'll include the helmet. Oh, yeah, 10 pounds. So 10 pounds. So that's what, 40 pounds to 60 pounds? About, yeah. Okay, about 40 pounds to 60 pounds. Okay. So I, they, the way the videos I watch and the articles I read broke it down by neck extension, neck extension flexion and lateral flexion. Okay. So like all the directions so of the head. <laughs> no, no, no. No, you guys were basically right. Love so that. for neck extension, they have to, it's 40, it's 40 kilograms for like, like, if you're extending okay. your neck backwards, that's how much weight they have to support. If you're flexion, like, so bending forward, it's 25. And then lateral, it's anywhere between 30, 35 to 40 kilograms. Kilos, okay. basically. So, uh, that's 80 pounds on just an neck alone. <laughs> and that's the force. So, that's why drivers have to have dick necks. And the reason why they have to have dick necks goes into... And the reason why you also see them do, like, hand-eye coordination, like, with the buttons or, like, the tennis ball stuff, even though it gives us the funny, you look like a T-Rex, rawr. Rawr. Yep. (laughs) Rawr. Moment is because it all ties into vision and strength. And again, go listen to the Formula Y episode because they break it down very easily in terms of, like, you're going at such a high speed experiencing G-forces at turns, basically doing everything. You know how you're driving a car, you're always looking ahead? Mm-hmm, which is actually mm-hmm. what think that's basically what they're doing but because of all the external forces they're experiencing obviously we don't have the neck strength you're going to be your head's going to be sideways you're not going to be looking forward you're not going right. to be looking straight so therefore safety wise you're not going to know where you're going you're not going to see anything so along with like coordination of just being it's like literally just safety of like knowing being able to drive the car of like knowing where you're going being able to see the moves the gaps anything like that so it's a combination of and both. you you hear a lot of like f2 drivers say like oh yeah i rested my head for like a few seconds on this corner and then like they'll get shit from other people <laughs> for doing that yeah it's not safe but it has no, it's interesting isn't it because it's like i remember after monza 2022 so 
Alex Avon appendicitis, Nick DeBruce jumps in for him. And one of the things that he commented was my neck was not used to that. Because obviously he'd been out of the car for a little while. And doing that full intensity of a race, which is very different to like a free practice session, which he, he'd done a couple of. I mean, he'd done one that weekend, I think, for Aston Martin. It was a hugely different experience for him. And obviously, Daniel Ricciardo found out earlier this year that he was jumping in the car. But he had about a week and a half to prep. But Nick obviously found out that morning that he was going to be driving. And then I remember the footage at the end of the Monza Grand Prix that he couldn't get out of the car. Like physically, he just was so exhausted from doing that race. And his muscles were so tired that he had to be like lifted and helped out of the car. And I think that shows you what happens when even someone who will have the muscle memory for this, has done it in the past, is not trained to the level that they would be as a full-time F1 driver, there's clearly a huge impact on that. So, okay, another reason why I guess what the neck and head are so important is Dr. Pilecki explains. So you're basically multitasking, like I said. You're watching where you're going, you're driving, you're paying attention to the radio, so your engineer, you're pushing all the little buttons you have to push for the settings, all that. You're, because of the speeds you're going and the G-forces you're experiencing, you're experiencing a lack of oxygen, <laughs> so you're not breathing, which is something that if you watch videos, when, especially when drivers are talking about, like when they're driving, it's like if you're doing a certain turn at a certain speed, you just don't breathe, <laughs> which is not good in general, just because of like lack of oxygen, which the lack of oxygen can lead to gray outs, which are basically they stop seeing colors <laughs> as they're driving. Not that. Yeah, this was all wild. Like, well, it's very interesting and so cool, but also like, what do you mean you stop seeing color because you're going so fast and because of the lack of oxygen you're experiencing which is also why i'm pretty sure drivers have posted videos of them doing vo2 max test Mm. right so yes for those of you that don't know vo2 max test is the ones when you see them on a bike or on a treadmill with like basically an oxygen mask over their face and it's basically you're having them do an exercise as fast as they can for as long as they can and you're basically tracking the, pr- the amount of oxygen they produce or like can intake and i thought that was i thought that was a altitude test type thing Mm-mm. it's just like a normal okay type of thing well, like you can't you can do it for altitude but it's just like if you're a certain level of athlete you just do a view to max just just so like for training purposes or so like because you need to have a certain capacity yeah. for it so basically uh vo2 max is the rate of oxygen that you attain during physical exertion. So basically the max amount of oxygen that an individual can use during intense workout or intense like endurance. So for an average person, ours is 30 to 40, like you go to max. If you're an elite runner, it's 77 to 85. I think F1 drivers have a, a max of 60 mm-hmm. when it comes to VO2 Still max because me. of like, yeah. So because of like the capacity, they have to have when it comes to driving and breathing that's why you see them which is why it's like you also see them doing cardio or like yeah they're on summer break right now but i'm sure everyone saw the video of daniel's workout like they still have even they're on break they still have to keep in shape to even unless you charles <laughs> i do find it interesting though that you like you say that but i'm not under any illusion that all the drivers post every single time they work out like that therefore is the only time that we know that they work out but I am curious because there very much does seem to be different workout plans between different drivers, mm-hmm. like some that work out a lot and some that don't. And when you were talking earlier about how in the past they didn't use train, they didn't use anything like that, and now they do, it brought up a question to my mind. And sorry, this is not the right time in your teaching, but I'm going to ask it now because <laughs> no, it's in my it. mind. I thank you, I will. Do you think now that because training has become so much more of a feature and so much more of a way for drivers to get an edge, do you think it's now possible for quote unquote less talented drivers to do better because they train harder, work harder and try better than those with natural, more natural talent, either regardless or just than they were in the past? Like you see it sometimes with football your soccer that actually sometimes the best players aren't the most talented they're the ones that work hardest do you think that that translates to a sport like f1 or do you think there is a massive amount of natural ability or do you think it's a little bit of both because there's definitely an argument out there that max verstappen doesn't train much 
now that may just be what he posts but sometimes when he posts his workouts we're like honey really just looks like a little video but yeah it's, it's yes, a question hannah you got your hand raised. yes hit hannah well i just wanted to put out there like you get out what you put in mm-hmm. so absolutely it's possible this is where it astounds me that people do not see drivers or cheerleaders or dancers or figure skaters or equestrians like myself as athletes. There's so much extra put into it because, you know, you get in, you get out of it what you put in. And so for me personally, as long as you're working hard and trying your best I guess that's like what you can do natural talent's always going to be a leg up but it's not going to give you everything right right yeah I think you can definitely see it in some of the lower formulas that I know from sort of following some of the drivers on social media and things like that that there definitely is a camp that work quite hard to be in f2 and there's definitely a camp who really enjoy being in f2 and I'm not saying that that directly correlates to performance but i think there is a definite i I definitely echo what you're saying hannah that you do get out what you put in okay i i don't know much i for f1 mainly just because i haven't lack of research academic journals get it together please but in my personal experience from like what i've worked with athletes from like high school to division two colleges here natural talent is obviously a big factor but also hard work and putting effort and training or like rehab if you have it have to do in terms of like from an injury or like just being consistent with like your lifting and actually lifting and doing what you're told and doing it correctly is also just a big factor so I would say it's probably like 50 50 in that like if you have the natural talent also personalities and this is like also where like sports psychology comes into play as well when it comes to like motivations and like do you actually want to do it versus is it something your family wants you to do and like all that comes also as a massive factor into it but i would say it's probably like 50 50 like obviously all these 20 drivers have the talent to get there and Mm -hmm. obviously are putting the work in if they are able to drive a car in terms of like the physical side of it but i also feel like f1 is also very much an external sport as well and i say this because Sky F Sports did an interview with uh, Michael Italiano and uh, Piru of AlphaTari, which I would 100% suggest you listen to if you want to get, like, I guess, a holistic view, in my opinion, and how two people that work in this sport as physios, trainers, wherever their capacity is in terms of, like, their certifications and work with drivers in this capacity, because they very much say in that interview that it's just as mental like the mental side is just as important as the physical side that i especially loved how Piri talked about how from going from a quote-unquote traditional setting and like our world to a non-traditional setting which is like you can say it's more sports equestrian circus soleil stuff like that it's very different and the i guess transition and getting used to it because as much as like we can control things with athletes f1 has other things like the car the engineers, team principals, the team dynamics, the team, the groups of it. So it's like very much a transition of that as well. So like there are the internal factors you control, but there's also so many external factors when it comes to F1 and motorsport Mm -hmm. that's like you can't control. So it's like very much a control what you can and hope that's the best for it, especially with the way he talked about it was really cool because he obviously talked about a lot with about Pierre and like, the demotion from Red Bull and like how that side of it. And it's like, I'm probably not going to do it justice the way he talked about, it, but it's like he was able to, to help Pierre focus on like the things they were able to control, including the mental side. Yeah. And then the rest of it will come if that makes sense. So I would suggest listening to that in terms of when it comes to like talking about like the holistic approach of like there's so many external factors or external forces, I think was the word he used about like the car, the car vibrations, the heat stressors they deal with the g-forces the car itself the setup of the car and that they he literally can't control the driver themselves can control to an extent but not really that like you focus on the things you can't control which is like the neck training the physical side the cardio Mm -hmm. the water intake you have to do because of losing like seven pounds of water weight and like your hydration schedule you have to do to make up for that so it's like all these other factors they I guess they focus on as well just because it's like it's not like a soccer match or a football match where it's like 
I'm going to go and I, if I know the setup or the formation we're in and I know the spaces I can be in and like the breakdown of it, it's not the same as like, if something's wrong with a car, then I can do it, you know? If I may. Yes. You brought up sports psychology, which is my. <laughs> Hannah's jam, I, as one can say. It is my, it is one of my jams. I, my senior year, I turned my minor into sports psychology just from normal psychology. So this is everything to me. Anyways, you, you brought up Pierre and his emotion and Michael, as much as it pains to admit it, is correct. There's so many outside when it comes to psychology, there's so many outside sources and so many outside pressures that like if you listen, one thing that my attention focused on when it originally happened was how Red Bull and their engineers spoke to Pierre during races versus how AlphaTauri spoke to Pierre during races. One was very like Max. Max responds to negative enforcement or I'm blanking on the right word for it, but like negative pressure. He, You know, if, if he's not up to par they tell him that they don't sugarcoat it they tell him that pierre doesn't and that's very apparent because when they would do the same they would tell him the same things they would tell max hey you're not up to par on max i need you to close this gap if you listen to the radios that he had in 2019 after he was demoted to alfatori his engineer in alfatori was more positive you're doing great we're so proud of you can you do this for us mm-hmm. yeah can you try this for us there's much more do it there's other factors obviously personal Mm -hmm. life relationships confidence personal confidence motives because we obviously are not pierre we don't know you know Mm -hmm. none of us know him or know what was going on in his head but there's theories and outside pressure and just a lot going on that you cannot control and the one thing you can't control is yourself but even Mm -hmm. then what's going on up here in your mental space is so influenced by the things around you that you can't even really control your your head and the thoughts in your head to an extent mm-hmm. if that makes any sense especially when you're when the world's eyes are on yeah. you and i think f is a unique sport in that it's not a team sport but it is sort of a team sport so you look at players mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. soccer teams and all of those kind of things and they train as a team so you're doing the same drills, you're doing the same stuff. And okay, yes, goalkeepers will have slightly different training to attacking midfielders and all of that kind of stuff. Like there are elements of your specific role and specific responsibility that do require more specialist training. But on the whole, you're working together as a team. So it, you don't lose on your own either. It's it's there's, there's unity in that. Whereas you look at F1 and once, you know, we've seen pictures of some of the drivers together in the gyms and stuff like that. And maybe they'll do like a run here and there. Maybe they'll do bits and bobs here and there that are together. On the whole, your, your teammates actually your biggest competition. And so then you have the conflict of it being like, oh, I can't even train with this guy because he's actually my opponent. And therefore your, your support network becomes your team and your engineers and your performance coaches and all of that kind of stuff. And undoubtedly that plays a role in like say the mental game as part of f1 but even just in terms of the the physical training of it i like to run i mean i don't like to run i run and whether i like it or not is quite frankly a little bit irrelevant but i run faster harder and better when i am doing it with somebody else like if i go for a run with my husband i will run faster and go further because I'm a really, really competitive person. When I'm doing stuff on my own, it's easy to stop because I'm like, well, I want to walk, so I'm going to walk. Sometimes that competitive edge that you can get from working out and training with other people can push you and can grow you and can stretch you. And I'm not saying these guys don't ever train together at all, but I do think that plays into some of the fitness side of things of going, well, what are they doing? What are they bench pressing? And things like that. But yeah, I'd imagine... To bring it back round to some of the fitness stuff, I'd imagine that a lot of it for F1 drivers isn't about getting jacked and getting really built and isn't necessarily about how much you can do, but it is more about strength and conditioning. Is that right? Basically. So, again, the Formula Y podcast interviewed Seb's performance. Ante, I forget his last name, but his first name is Ante. And he basically called them endurance athletes because if you think about how long a race is, right. how long how continuers are doing it, that is an endurance athlete. They're not doing bursts of speeds. They're not like using like, oh, like in football when it's like they're run, sprinting across to get across in the box, like, and then dogging back. Like mm-hmm. they're an endurance athlete. 
is how you can see picture it. So yeah, they're training. He basically explained it. You have 20 hours in a week. 12 of those are going to be cardio. So it's like endurance, high intensity, threshold, mm-hmm. interval, training, running, cycling. And then you have like recovery, your strength, like so like your lifting, different type of strength exercises. And then like your speed and like your uh, hand-eye coordination, because that's obviously important. So like right. that's basically what goes into those 20 hours. And like the breakdown can be different of it, depending mm-hmm. on like if the athlete wants to get stronger in their core or stronger in their upper body or grip strength then you can like individualize it in that way and something else that Kiri mentioned when talking about like not just with necessarily Pierre but like he came into the sport with like Daniel Kvyat so like I guess that was like his first time into like F1 but the way like he made a really good point I guess to me especially as a new fan it's like people that watch don't necessarily see the human aspect of f1 i guess you can say in terms of like when you're watching they're in helmets it's not like it's not like you're when you're watching football like you see jack Grealish. yeah like you know who jack is like they're under a helmet they're in a car it's people will argue that it's the car doing the performance not the driver which is 100 percent wrong in my opinion but it's like you don't see the human asset you don't see the human performance of it of like Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see the videos they, they post when training, but it's like, you know they're doing more. You know they're doing other things that come with it. And, like, it takes so much to, to understand the sport. It's, like, the technicalities of it. So it's, like, and understanding the car and, like, the external stressors of it. So, like, it's easier to notice, like, all the ex- external stressors and things like that versus, like, their human yeah. performance of it. Which is super interesting for me and, like, my, like, the way I watch <laughs> sports is that, like, it just shows how, like, interconnected everything is and it's just mm-hmm. really cool in my opinion and i just like want to pick his brain a lot more and like all of these people that worked <laughs> in this capacity in a sport that's technically a non-traditional setting compared to like experiences they've had yeah. in the past or like the group dynamics of it because the group dynamics also plays into like sports psychology but also just like in general everything when it comes to sports and it's just like super interesting and i just want to know more about it one of the things that i have picked up on in terms of the, the fitness side of things is that unfortunately it can get quite negative and it can get quite damaging. So mm-hmm. two specific examples are Daniel Ricciardo last year and some of the experience that he had where it potentially got a little malnourished. And Valtteri Bottas, who spoke quite openly about it, I think it was the start of this year, but might have been last year, about how he developed an eating disorder. And I was talking to a friend about it the other day and they said uh, they gave me two other examples from sort of way back when under Jean Todd, I think it was, uh, where basically there's there's a lot of examples of drivers who develop eating disorders. And some of the, the articles I've, I've seen on this talk about how some of that is down to the fact that cars have a weight. And there's we've, we've talked in our previous episodes about sort of the weight to downforce ratio and all of that kind of stuff. And if you've got two drivers in a car and one weighs less than the other, chances are the lighter driver's going faster. Now they mm-hmm. can accommodate for some of that stuff with things that they put in the car. But obviously we, we all know that in any elite sports, there can be this really unfortunate negative consequence around food and body image and training and all of those kind of things. Now for an F1 driver, they're also going to need to eat enough to keep their strength up. Like the drinking is one thing, but you've got these races where they come out and they get weighed and they've lost kilograms in weight because of sweat and all of those mm-hmm. kind of things. So they obviously need to be replenishing that. In terms of their training and how that sort of links in with the, the fitness side of things, what kind, if, if you don't know, I don't know if this is your bag as much, but diet-wise, what's the impact of their training on that and vice versa? I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make I, sense? Yes, I, I, get, I get what you mean. I honestly don't know i didn't see much that talked about it was just like the eat whatever calorie they probably talked about like calories or like the amount of food they have to have in their system but i didn't see beyond that and i didn't don't remember the exact number of calories or like amount of food intake they have to talk about but the reason why i suggest listen to like that sky f1 interview is because they mention both of them but mainly period talks about how it's like he's going to bring in a sports psychologist he's going to bring in a nutritionist if it's not like your mm-hmm. bread and butter background in it so i would say that these teams if they don't should definitely have nutritionists for their drivers because it's definitely right. needed not just necessarily 
because of like oh weight drive like the weight impacts driving performance but it's like in general from my experience the ones you see it like body like you see it on all sports but the ones like rec researchers like here's what sports that have like issues with like weight and stuff are like the quote-unquote aesthetic sports so like your figure skating your gymnastics where aesthetics play a part of it or weight can impact Mm -hmm. your performance in terms of that so it's like it's a again like a giant web when it comes to like the sports medical sports medicine side of it i would suggest that i would assume and this is probably my wishful thinking of this is an elite sport worth elite athletes with teams that are making money that if the team isn't providing them with a nutritionist that's like a registered dietitian nutrition export nutritionist that like does it or if the person that is their physio doesn't have a background in nutrition in some capacity that either the driver has their own or the team is providing one for them that's like along with that like along with looking at their training looking at what they need to do and be like here is what you need to be at like a healthy nutritional level for it but also along with nutrition and stuff there's also like a bunch of things that impact weight that and when it comes to sports are just very complicated like if you're not in the environment that makes you happy if you're not feeling the best about it yourself it's like a bunch of other factors that also go into it but like in terms of like aesthetics and weight or like trying to maintain that weight i would i would hope they have like a nutritionist or someone that it's like has a background in that with them to make sure they're healthy especially with the travel and track it physios most of them have a nutrition background i know michael italiano does whether or not you agree with it after what happened with danny um i know that charles's physio has a nutrition background i think benny has you, one. like you say you'd hope that if they the, the team does. i think, I think yeah. it's part of it because yeah one of, I'm going to say this, and I know that he's seen parts of our podcast. So one of my old managers, he wants to start his own. Um, he has He's a personal trainer as well. And he has a background in nutrition. And I was talking to him about it one day. Well, it was kind of dead. And he basically said that you have to. In order to be a personal trainer, yeah. you need to know. You need to know this stuff. So I would be surprised if any of them didn't. I wouldn't say you need to know be a personal trainer okay that's like i technically can be a personal trainer but i'm not that's not my degree that's not you don't need a degree to be a personal trainer i took one nutrition class and that's it i'm not i don't have a nutritional background but i can easily work with these f1 drivers in the same capacity as the people with nutritional backgrounds i would just have to bring in a nutritionist to feel more comfortable about it yeah i think my question was more around like the impact of the nutrition on their fitness and the, just more than anything acknowledging that that also does play a part in how they train what they train and you know we've i think yeah i think to be honest the most well-documented driver. driver who talks about their pre-race food is lando norris who has a wrap with chicken i think rice avocado and pineapple every every pre-race meal that's and if that doesn't happen again he's literally like I won't, I won't race. he's half joking but it's it, it is it's part of his superstition it's part of his traditions mm-hmm. it's part of how he gets ready but you know you look at that as a meal and you're like that doesn't scream elite athlete to me and that's not me throwing shade on lando's food choices at all it sounds like something a marvel dietitian would give one of the <laughs> actors I'm not gonna lie to you right. literally right 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 but it is, I think it's just a curiosity that there's a lot that's involved in fitness that is outside of the gym. I think I'm, I'm bringing that to the forefront of yes, the yes, sports yes, psychology yes, yes. piece. I'm bringing yeah. it to the car piece, to, to the, the, the working out in the gym piece and yes. going, Definitely, you know, yes. there's so much more to these people and to these athletes, as you rightly said, that is more than just a car driving around. And I, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't take much for me to get into my car and go driving this is not like that this is not the the case at all this is professionalism and athleticism and you know they have hospitality as part of the team and those people are not just providing food for people to eat they are catering to the needs of drivers and and things like that so i think i just wanted to to highlight that more than oh yeah um okay i get what you mean now but yeah so looking forward to this weekend it is zanvort and we have specifically chosen to do this episode on fitness and things like that ahead of Zanvor. Hannah, why is that? 
Tell us about Zandvoort. Zandvoort is a, let's call it a historical track. It's been around for a while, but we weren't, we didn't race on it for about 32 years. Um, the last race before 2021 was 1983, two or three. Oh, I so it's been a while. It's been a while, and we are now racing on it because we have a Dutch driver on the grid, and it pulls a crowd. I had no idea. Never would have known. I know, right? We we almost had two. We nearly had two, Blackson. But Zanvor is a track that is notable for its last corner. It is a thin track. It is a track that a lot of drivers seem to like the most. Track that the track that's most similar to it would probably be Hungary, because it's Hungary is again thin. The way that it starts, it's got that almost double U turn at the bottom. Right. Very sharp turns. And the last corner is banked. Right. Now, for those that don't know what banking is, banking is what the old Monza track is, the, the historic Monza track is. It's basically on the side of a hill or a mountain. It's more like a style, isn't it? Oval style, yes. Banking appears in ovals consistently. And that means that G-Force is going to hit them differently when they're on that corner. Now, normally, you're going to hear them talk about G-Force, like Moni said, pushing them left to right or back to front. When they're on banking, it pushes them down, which is something that, going into 2021, most of the drivers had never experienced. Because right. it not, it's not a factor at Monza, then? No, it is not. Monza is flat. Hmm. Oh, they don't use the bank bits, do they? No. Well, they, they, they use them for marketing. Yeah, but they don't drive on them. That's about it. Not in the have race. You seen, have you seen Pierre and Yuki try to climb up the hill and fall down it? That's, that's the old banking. And it is almost completely vertical. Mm-hmm. To, to, to track okay. standards, it is almost completely vertical. Wow. So in terms yeah. of some of this stuff, what then is the impact either in terms of training or in terms of what the fitness side of things that they would need to do for this G-Force? What was the impact on those majority drivers who hadn't ever driven this in 2021? To be honest with you, I don't remember what they specifically said. I know that it just felt weird to them because yeah. they are being pushed downward. So usually when they have, we talked about grip strength, usually when they have their um, hands on the wheel, they're keeping their grip strength from going left to right or ripping off left to right. Now they're trying not to slip off the bottom of the right. wheel, which is a little bit harder. So for those that don't know, because we didn't exactly define it, G-force is gravity. And it's put how much pushing down on your body. How much is pushing down on your body times your body weight. So when in Silverstone in 2021, when Max crashed into the barrier at 51 Gs, the reason why Danny looks so terrified is because that's 51 times Max's body weight. And Max is about, I don't, I don't remember. At the time, I think he was like 181, Hmm. something like that. So that's a lot of weight on one skeleton. Okay. Not to mention the external shell of the car that's also on him. So the fact that he walked away from that unscathed we did talk with Deep Force a little, a little. Bit into it in our first F1 glossary episode. So if you want to hear us talk about an F1 car driving upside down, check out part one of our glossary. But yes, I think you're absolutely like it's it's quite scary. And I, I love the visual of like the hands sliding on the steering wheel because I think it's something that we can kind of relate to a bit more of going, well, what would actually happen? So like it's a really helpful visual. Mon, did you learn anything in your research about how they can train for these kind of things. The training is basically just like what we see when they post like their neck training videos. Mm-hmm. This is why I want to pick their brains and see like if they do anything specifically when it comes to like other things they would do or like I'm pretty sure Red Bull has posted Max and Chucko on like the steering wheel thing that's weighted. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's probably that's another way they can train with that because it's like that's also training for them and that's also like grip strength and all of that with like counterweight and it probably will obviously you probably can't do anything that's close to exactly those things but like you try to mimic as much as you can to the best of your ability so that steering wheel 
them being in the sim even though it's not necessarily the same force but like in terms of like vision and coordination when it comes to eyes like you try to mimic as much as you can to the best of your ability basically so it's but yeah. anything they anything that you either seem to impose is probably something close to that to the best of their ability they can do either when they're al- alone on their vacations over summer break or when they're worth actually with them and i just want to know more about it let me pick your brains let me pick your brains yeah literally it's very it's very interesting you say about that i watched a video of lando norris MotoGP, and one of the things that i hadn't really thought about but picked up on when he did a helmet swap with one of the guys was the difference in the visor that like amount so an F1 visor, super narrow. Like, literally, it's, like, probably from, like, your nose to your eyebrow. MotoGP visors are probably double that. Like, there's so much more visibility. And the MotoGP guy was asking Lando about that. He's like, why is it so thin? And Lando's like, well, we've got the halo. We've got all the stuff. You don't actually really need, as long as your eyes can see out, you don't actually need to see as much. And I found that so fascinating because I've never really thought about it. But then you know thinking about like them training sort of their reactions and responses and stuff like that like they still manage to see enough out of these really thin visors to be able to take in all of this stuff and i find that honestly absolutely baffling well you you see them and you you notice them memorizing tracks that's why they don't Mm -hmm. have the time to process and react except for what's around them so they need to know the track they need to know where they need to turn so they can do it blindfolded no problem right that's also part of like training like imagery right that's like a form of imagery mm-hmm. that you do is like well way i've seen it talked about obviously is like for gymnastics like you're rehearsing your beam routine your floor routine in your head yeah. so when you actually go do it you feel more comfortable you feel more confident that you know the element mm-hmm. that you know what you're doing you can that's basically what they're doing too it's like they're the Speaking imagery they're doing me. where they're sitting there with their eyes closed turning the wheel like in rush or like you've seen them do in drive or survive mm-hmm. that's a form of imagery that's a form of training they mm-hmm. do that's a form of that's all part of it that what they do even the sim racing i'm fascinated mm-hmm. by the simulator i really am i think it's so interesting and it, like particularly hearing and understanding the the physical feedback that you get from sim racing if you get a good enough setup which obviously they have extortionately expensive setups in the factories and things like that i do find it so interesting how much feedback you get and how realistic they have tried to make it to actually driving the car in terms of feeding the effect and stuff on your body when you do turns and and all of those kind of stuff and obviously nothing compares to the real thing but i do think it's so amazing how much technology and stuff has developed and even going back to the point you made earlier mon about how the sport has developed and how you know, back in the 1950s, it was get up, jump in a car in your T-shirt and shorts, as we've dramatically covered, in terms of, like, your safety, but also your training and your f- your food and all of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, like, smoking and drinking. Like, just the whole sport as a whole has become so, not serious, but so professional. And there's all of these things that, that play a factor. And so I think we just wanted to acknowledge the, the role of these people as athletes. Like, they are sport people they are professional athletes they're not drivers if that makes sense like they are but Mm -hmm. that almost doesn't do it justice in the sport we need to do a sports like episode so one hannah can also nerd out with me but also like cover that side of it as well i mean my my bag is basic psych so i don't know how to do much sports but basic psych also plays into it it's great it's great Mm -hmm. but yeah we need to do it and i feel like we mentioned it a lot like especially with danny last year i feel like that's just not a great example but like f1 in the most recent years has had a great example of like how holistic the sport actually is when it comes to the physical side and the mental and the mental side and how those tie in together and how i guess the different factors that go into it and we can speculate all we want when it comes to like drivers and relationships that may or may not happen but we don't know everything that happened and it's just like from what we know we can make guesses but we don't know but at the same time like yeah we need to do sports psych so all of us can nerd out about psychology together and talk about that side because that's also super interesting yeah and i think it's so true that there comes a point where as the athlete 
yes, you can have these people around you who are experts in the field and who know their bag and you've got from the engineers to team principals to performance coaches to all of these people, but ultimately you still have to take personal responsibility for you, how you are, how you conduct yourself, what you then actually put in your body and what you actually do and what you how you actually outwork all of these things. Like none of these men or women outside of F1, but none of these people are robots or puppets. They are fully grown adults in control of their decisions and their choices and their food and their fitness and all of these kind of things. And so I think to try and put that full responsibility on any one person, themselves included, because they obviously have teams, isn't fair um, and isn't right, in my opinion. But that's just my opinion. (laughs) But yes. Any other thoughts, comments, nerding out, amazing tidbits of information on more of this stuff before we kind of I think wrap I heard up. her now enough. Hannah, you look like you have something to say. So just kind of rolling it back to Zan just for a second. The the last corner is so interesting to me because like I said, none of them had experienced it because they hadn't raced mm-hmm. the track since the eighties. And most of the grid wasn't actually alive. There were not stars all the in the sky. Um, when the last time they raced is Zanvoort, so minus one or two. And so what's interesting to me is that I think it was on, and I might be remembering this incorrectly, but I think there was a segment that they did about the last corner the first year that we were there. And aside from rolling mm-hmm. a stroop waffle down the corner um, to show you that it was banked, that they were talking about how it slows the car down because not only is the downforce higher, but so is the G-force. And the G-force is pushing them down, which means that the car is gluing itself to the track even more than it's supposed to. Right. So to me, that's interesting. Because if a car has low downforce to begin with, I wonder if that takes an advantage, gives an advantage to the, to the driver that is in the low downforce car versus the, the high downforce cars. Who is that likely to affect this year? Oh, no. Is it like, uh, well, it really depends on how they set up the car. I struggle to remember who's a low downforce car and who's a high downforce car. Exactly. I know we've covered it extensively in previous episodes, but we did talk about it. Don't remember. I want to, my little heart wants to say Williams, but I don't think that's right. Um, <laughs> Williams bias till the end. Always. Williams bias to the end. I think McLaren is high downforce now. Okay. Now that we've gone through Britain and we've we've seen the upgrades and all the stuff, I think that they're on a high downforce car now, but I don't know. So I think they could really slow them down. And I don't know how I my hopes and aspirations for them in in Zandvoort um this weekend, but I I do want to see them do well for 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 Oscar Orlando's sake. No one else's. I found it. You found it. I found the list. I found it. So low downforce. You were right. Back yourself, girl. Low downforce is Williams. So That's low right, downforce, Williams. They're, and they were like a good downforce. drag, right? Low drag. They were low drag and low downforce, right? Low drag, low downforce, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So Williams is low downforce. Most of the rest are around the middle. The higher end goes to um, Aston Martin, Mercedes. So it'd be interesting to see. I wasn't aware that this was a track that particularly favoured Williams last year. I know Monza was a track that favoured them last year. So it'll be interesting to see this year if it's changed to a car. But it could be William Supremacy, which, oh no, would be so sad about. Williams, I will happily Live. be a water be girl so for your physios. I'm just saying. I haven't said that in a long time, but look, I'll be a water kid. I'll do it. I'll sit You'll there. You'll be a water kid? Them. I'll be the water kid if I just means I get to talk to these uh, F1 people that work there in the sports medicine capacity <laughs> i am in there like swimwear please Love do you have any predictions for the weekend no i don't have any predictions because i don't want to predict anything yet <laughs> fair i hate doing predictions it's my least favorite thing to do because i get stressed i don't mind doing like middle of the pack predictions but i might get too stressed with too many predictions but it is obviously the first race back after the summer break so my final question for you both, so not even slightly related to anything we discussed today, so apologies for that, but what have you missed most over the summer break? What is it that you have missed, or what's the thing where when this happens, you'll be like, oh, we're back. The Dutch National Anthem. 
I sent that to you the other day. <laughs> I can't escape it, so neither can you. <laughs> That's mad. You do a weird. I've not missed the Dutch national anthem. Um, okay, serious answer. Is it set everything? Question mark. I feel like that's a cop on answer. Yeah, you like it was more if there was like one thing where you were like, oh, I'm excited to see this again. Cars on a track, not on a screen. Yeah. yeah. Or Lewis's paddock outfits. They're always. Oh good. yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to just see general like fresh content. Not that the content has been bad over the summer. I think we've seen like a few videos. Obviously, there've been the grid grids and stuff like that. But you know, when you're like, there's something about race track content. That I'm like, it's just a bit chaotic and unhinged and less scripted. I think I just find that quite yeah. fun. Oh, I have a question related to what uh, we talked about. If you had to try one of their training r- exercises a driver does, which one would you do? Ellie? I would like to train for Singapore, please, and go sit in a sauna. <laughs> it's not sitting in a sauna, Ellie. You have to do the bike or something. No, I don't. Some of them probably don't. Valtteri Bottas trains in a sauna. That's what I'm thinking. That's because he's Valtteri who enjoys Amazon. I'm I'm going in a sauna. All right. Hannah? Reaction buttons. I think I would be okay with them, but I don't think I would be fast enough. Granted, when Red Bull posted that, like, can you beat Checo's time, I did beat his time. (laughs) But I went to the Space Center on Monday. So we took the kids to the National Space Center, which is near us, and astronauts do similar reaction testing and so i got to have a go at that and i no idea what the bar is but i thought i did very well <laughs> that's fun what about you mom Ooh, okay i probably i know i will fail at it but i just want to try it once in my life and it's a vo2 max test i just want to see how poorly my vo2 max because i know it's nowhere near where it should... there's at all and yeah, i just want no. let, let look let me die like it'd be a great workout for I a choose week life and I'll die, and it's like I'm done working out for the for that week. Just let me and let me know where my VO2 max is. So I'd be like, oh, I'm a normie compared to these elite athletes. So I'll go with that one because it's something I probably will never ever do you in my life, what? anyways. I'm a happy little Well, thank you so much for joining, Monique. Thank you so much for doing all that research. I know it wasn't really a hardship for you, but we so appreciate it anyway. I love learning all about this stuff, and I'm sure its topic will revisit countless times because it's so relevant i think we'll definitely do some of the stuff about singapore so yes stay tuned for all of that but otherwise happy race weekend guys have a great time it'll be so it. much fun i'm watching you in a field in the middle of nowhere it's gonna be great hope you had fun with me being a nerd it's always fun but that's all we have time for so thanks so much and we'll see you all soon Bye-bye. bye bye everyone Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on anything we discussed today, or there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future, then we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C, or follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. See you soon.